In the Company of Saints, The Long Life of a Story. What sets them apart from us is twofold. Firstly, their remarkable lives or deaths. Secondly, that their lives are no longer their own. A saint's life is for us, far more than any monarch, minister or hero who usually have a hand in how their story is spun. In death, saints' lives are plucked up to be placed into the common basket of goodness, to become apples of instruction. Or at least they were, until knowledge and study of the lives of saints fell away in almost every faith, to make way for the inspection of the lives of the famous. Why should a contemporary woman such as myself, a non-theist, a Taoist, have anything to say about this Saxon Christian saint? I began writing this piece, sitting on a clifftop in Dorset, on June 1st, 2023, St. Wheater's Feast Day, after spending an hour cleaning the spring and well in a cove I've written of here before. I find myself thinking about St. Wheater regularly since I first encountered her in 2017, when painting the little icon above, which now sits in the home altar of an Orthodox friend. Along with several other artists, I had been commissioned to paint some tiny works on parchment for Dark Mountain 12, Sanctum. At the last minute, the writing was pulled from the collection, and although my other ten works for different essays were included, the painting of St. Wita remained at home, in seclusion, like the hermit she portrayed. St. Wita is revered as a saint in the Orthodox Church, Roman Catholicism and the Church of England. Despite her life and martyrdom taking place less than 50 miles from my hometown, and although I attended Church of England schools, I had never heard of her. The only saints I knew of as a child, outside those mentioned in the Gospels, were Francis of Assisi, Joan of Arc, Thomas Beckett, and George, Andrew, David and Patrick, patron saints of England, Scotland, Wales and Ireland, respectively, whose days are still marked in UK diaries and calendars. As an adult, I had read about Hindu saints, Tibetan Buddhist saints, Muslim sages and Taoist immortals, but never once about the remarkable men and women of my own homeland or heritage. Whether or not I had left the faith isn't the point. In England, there is a general amnesia for anything other than the big red tabloid headlines of our history, just like there is for our folk music. The only lineup of four men, including a George, that most people know, is the Beatles. By the time I became an adult in 1990, the idea of reading about a saint would have seemed as bizarre to me as swatting up on the use of Jethro Tull's corn seed drill or installing gaslight in my bedsit. Since encountering Sapwita, my feelings have changed, and they are still changing. Describing a respected wise woman cliff-dwelling hermit who saved ships from wreckage on the shore by tending beacon fires, the handed-down story of St. Wheater's life is unusual enough, without its miraculous later chapter. To have the outline of a non-aristocratic Saxon woman's life and possible death in about AD 830 is certainly rare, so when I read about her first in a piece by Steve Wheeler I was asked to illustrate, and then later in work by Sarah Hudson, I began to wonder about her. I was never told about such women, not in school, not in church, and never at all in the media. 
In 2019, I joined Sarah for her St. Wheatus Day, Dorset Day, pilgrimage to the church in Whitchurch, Kananakorum, St. Wheatus Well on Chardown Hill, a mile away, and the possible site of her hermitage high on the clifftop near Golden Cap. You can read a short account of her life and a rather lovely personal account of a pilgrimage to her church with photos via links in this essay. Since my first visit to her reliquary, I have returned twice more with friends, each time in high summer, when the cool pale stone of the church has given us welcome shelter from the heat. I enjoy a walk around almost any ancient building, and have been known to loiter happily in cathedrals with my older sister for evensong on city breaks. I am not known for kneeling and praying for loved ones at ossuaries that have miraculously escaped both Henry VIII and Oliver Cromwell a feat only matched in England by a king's shrine in Westminster Abbey, St Edward the Confessor. And yet, I have now done this several times. The verified bones of a small Saxon woman lie within a beautiful simple stone shrine where people leave prayers, requests for healing and small gifts. Her bones are considered by some to have healing powers and her church was commissioned by none other than Alfred the Great himself. The story goes that when the Viking Danes sailed along the English Channel and came to raid her town, St Wita went to Pali with the invaders, saying her community would surrender and that there was no need for more bloodshed. The attackers were unmoved and she was killed. Later, when the dead were recovered from the beach, those who carried her body reported that their wounds were miraculously healed. Soon a shrine containing her remains became famous for healing those who prayed there, and it became a regular site of pilgrimage. But still, why am I even vaguely interested in a tall tale of seemingly impossible events nearby over a thousand years ago? It doesn't matter to me what details of her life are accurate. In fact, I would feel the same if they were found to be false, and that she was proved to be some Breton princess after all. What touches my heart is that such a story keeps being told, and that such a woman kept being described over a millennium, that even the greatest king of all England felt it worth keeping this story safe in what became known as the Cathedral of the Vale. Without adding to or changing the traditional elements of her myth, The story allows me to imagine that St. Wita was already respected enough to speak on behalf of her community and was courageous enough to do so, even knowing the high risk of death. It lets me imagine a woman living as a hermit in her forties, up on a Dorset clifftop, but with deep commitment and ties to community, kin and place. It shows me someone wanting life to continue for those she cares about and is responsible for and this being more important than saving her own individual life, something barely imaginable in our current culture. What commitment to life! I don't need to make up any features of her story, interrogate it, deconstruct it or glamorise it. Also, I don't want to be her. Who would want to be cut down by foreign armed raiders in the prime of life? I do sympathise with her, as an unconventional Wessex woman of a certain age, with a penchant for hanging out on cliffs and speaking my mind. Yet, what St. Wita's story 
still does is deeply move me, help me question my own life's choices and make better ones. In short, she inspires me. As far as I can gather, the lives of the saints were once read and told to inspire and instruct people on what is a good life. After the Reformation, reading and learning the Bible itself in English took much higher precedence. The word has trumped the stories, just as the austere whitewash and empty sconces of the iconoclasts replaced brightly painted carved saints and stained glass in English churches. There are many great stories in the Bible, of course, but they are mainly set in the desert, far east of this little collection of green pebbles we currently call the British Isles. Had I known as a girl about even just our own St. Weta, or Hilda of Whitby, Elizabeth Fry, Marjorie Kemp, or Julian of Norwich, I would have learned about incredible, intelligent women using the respect they had earned in their communities and the wider church to influence things practically for the good of all, rather than debate how many angels could dance on the head of a pin. I was told saints were almost all men, off slaying dragons, and from elsewhere. We cannot say with complete certainty if St. Wita was a Christian, as pagan beliefs still remained in Wessex at that time, coexisting with Christian observance. But this is also beside the point. Her actions were deemed saintly, correct and exemplary by both the common people and by the church of her day. They are still worthy of our awe and respect now, even if, like me, you are not a Christian. This is the point of saints the world over, and why I initially read about those considered as such when I was travelling in India, Kashmir, Ladakh and Nepal in the 1990s. Whether Buddhist, Hindu, Muslim, Jain, Taoist or Christian, the qualities of a saint seemed surprisingly consistent. Selflessness, practical care for others, including non-humans, honest speech, wise actions, compassion, non-attachment to worldly things. That mainstream Western culture still values these things when they are embodied by people, immediately deemed heroes, shows they endure. What we are sold by influencers, celebrities, media, and especially by the wellness industry, is an inversion of these things. Selfishness, self-indulgence over responsibility to others, dishonest speech, unwise actions, blame and instant retribution, attachment to things, obsession with appearances. I do not lead an exemplary life, and I do not especially try to. I wrestle with the same needs and wants as the next person, whilst trying to make ends meet and not harden my heart to the world. St. Wita just keeps returning to my thoughts. Perhaps it's because I'm now back at home in Wessex, near the sea, thinking often of community, family, roots, obligations, conviviality, responsibility and more. This last year has seen me gladly give up lots for those I love. Time, energy, effort, money. Things I might have hoarded in the past and kept for myself. I wonder, if I saw armed attackers come for the people I loved, would I have the guts to try and go and negotiate to save them? Maybe her words gave a few more kids the chance to run away. 
Maybe she knew she had no chance of walking away that day, but thought she'd be a useful distraction. Perhaps she figured she'd had a good life already, watching the sun set over the sea, lighting the beacon, preventing shipwrecks, dispensing herbs and counsel. What St. Wita is currently teaching me, as much as any of my beloved Taoist classics, is to attempt to live fully, right here, right now, with integrity, to marry my actions and my words, then, when things get gnarly, to value actions over words. Hopefully, if I am ever called to do something as a commitment to life that may result in my death, I'll have no qualms. I had to test my mettle with the fire two years ago, and was glad to find I was no coward, but I cannot know how I would respond in such a situation as St. Rita faced. I can only read stories and ponder her example, put myself in her shoes imaginatively. I can spend time practising community, and I can pray. The lives of the saints are for everyone. That's the point. They are for us even if they are not from our religion, or even if we are not religious. As if we are inspired to live better by them, then their work continues in the world. That our ancestors thought it wise to tell tales about people who had lived well, in amongst the stories of tyrants and heroes, fairy tales and kings, is interesting to me. Ordinary poor people do not embark on long pilgrimages for no good reason. Credulousness was likely no more common then than it is now. When I see how we are encouraged to spend our days and our money, I think perhaps it is more common now. I spend many hours considering the life of my local saint, wondering when I can next visit her well and church. Part of me says to myself, This is highly unusual. Another part says, This is what the land moves you to do. Yet another part just laughs at my pompous self and makes a fresh round of Yorkshire tea for me and my brother while we eat red and yellow squares of Battenberg cake and watch the blackbirds splashing in the newly cleaned spring stream in the cove. Truly a bath fit for a king or even a saint.